signs of life on Mars through the eyes of a science fiction writer who has speculated on just such things for years. On the phone with us now from his home in Seattle, Nebula and Hugo Award-winning science fiction writer Greg Baer. Mr. Baer is a former member of the Citizens Advisory Council on National Space Policy and has written, consulted, and reported extensively on science and technology. He's also the author of one of the most critically acclaimed recent books on Mars, the science fiction novel Moving Mars, and he's here to help us put a face on this month's revelations. Welcome back to Point of View. Thank you. Glad to be here. Let's walk our listeners through this. Uh, so we have this rock they found in Antarctica. How can they link that possibly to Mars, and, and what did they find there? Well, the rock uh, has oxygen isotope ratios that link it with Mars, and we know that it's quite possible for, for asteroids to have impacted Mars and knocked chunks of it off into space. Those chunks uh, could quite easily, over millions of years, come into Earth's orbital influence and be picked up, and a lot of them have been found in Antarctica, at least 12 so far. How can they know that, that this rock and others like it actually did hail from Mars? Well, it has some of the mineral contents and, as I say, the oxygen isotope ratios that indicate that it's like rocks that we have uh, tested with our spacecraft on the surface of Mars, with the Viking lander in particular. Is that pretty much beyond dispute, you think? Well, nothing in science is beyond dispute, but <laughs> I think true. this one they're pretty much agreed on. As, as one of the scientists said on the, the first press conference, it's about 90% sure that this is from Mars. And it's 90% sure that it was probably created volcanically on Mars about 4.5 billion years ago. Well, let's walk our listeners through the rest of the evidence that leads to this conclusion, by some scientists anyway, that, that, you know, that, that there was life on Mars. Well, they have several uh, chains of reasoning that they follow. And some of them are fairly intricate, but some of them are, are pretty simple. The most obvious one, of course, is the, uh, the photographic evidence of what look like very tiny bacteria clustering on these uh, little spheres of uh, calcium carbonate, and then there's also iron sulfides and other chemicals that are uh, associated with life forms on Earth quite often, uh, and then a mineral called magnetite, which is very interesting because it's found in certain bacteria on Earth, which are called magnetosomes, and these magnetosomes use them perhaps to orient themselves with Earth's magnetic field. Anyway, all of these things put together, and the fact that the rock is fairly pure and uncontaminated, uh, it's been lying around on the, in the frozen ice of, uh, of uh, Antarctica for quite a while now, millions of years, uh, points to some, some interesting possibilities, which they've been mechanically analyzed, and they look and see where the contaminations could come in. And most of these things, in fact, are, are in greater concentrations on the interior of the rock than on the exterior. So it's very unlikely that it's been contaminated from the outside. The other interesting thing is that these um, little bacterial-like fossil forms are about 100 times smaller than the bacteria that we've found on Earth, even the smallest forms. They're about the size of uh, little organelles and cells called ribosomes. And that's intriguing because we don't know why they would be that small if they are, in fact, uh, fossils of living things. You know, one of the things, and I've seen the pictures, and I think a lot, of, a lot of people in our audience have seen the pictures, but I'm just amazed that fossils, which most of us, I think, think of as crude items with, with relatively little detail, could preserve something as fine as, as microscopic entities, or at least uh, provide you know, unambiguous evidence of the presence of microscopic entities. Is that, is that surprising to anyone besides me? Uh, not to the scientists, because, of course, uh, to be something small enough <laughs> to be around, you have to be made up of small particles of things, and and the fossil, uh, fossilization process can pretty finely mimic uh, those small particles. It just basically replaces uh, your organic minerals with, uh, or your organic components with mineral components. I don't think that's too surprising. 
size, again, is surprising, but not the fact that something that small could be fossilized. All, all of this, of course, is subject to scrutiny and analysis. Uh, in your opinion and the opinions of those that, uh, that you've consulted with, I mean, what do you think we need to confirm this conclusion? What, where are we going to find a smoking gun, if, if anywhere? Well, we've got to find it on Mars. There's no doubt about it. We can, we can reach some uh, consensus on whether or not this could be fossil forms from Martian life, but uh, to be certain about it and to actually know the big questions, we will have to go there first with robot landers, uh, and then finally with people to, to, con- to conduct the final experiment. Point of view on WNUA 95.5. I'm Charlie Myerson talking to science fiction and science writer Greg Baer about the prospects for life on Mars. Uh, how soon can we get there? What's, uh, what's your best understanding of the, the timetable that we might or might not be able to pull off? Well, if we put our whole concerted effort on it, we could probably be there within 10 or 15 years. Uh, I don't think there's quite the political will to do that, but uh, certainly this news has created a lot of interest. NASA has been steadily building towards this kind of mission and has been promoting its possibility for years now. But at the moment, NASA is focused on, uh, on space science rather than taking people to Mars. And we can send lots and lots of little robot landers to Mars for uh, a lot less money than it would take to send people there. Uh, I think that, uh, however, eventually we're going to, to need something for our children to be excited about and something for them to do. We can't leave out the romance angle because that's what motivates human culture. And right now, in the 80s and the 90s, I think our culture has been pretty darn stagnant. It's time for something to come along and shake us out of our doldrums. What are the implications of this and proof of life on Mars in the distant past, if, uh, if we get it ever, uh, for science fiction? I mean, if all this is as it seems to be, uh, whose work do you think will, will hold up best? Who's going to come out of this looking like, uh, like a visionary? There have been about a a dozen novels written in the last few years about Mars, which uh, have been quite, quite good. Uh, Among them, uh, the Mars trilogy of Kim Stanley Robinson and Ben Bova's Mars and Kevin Anderson's uh, Climbing Olympus. And uh, there's there's been lots of them, and I think all of them have touched at some point or another on the possibilities of life on Mars, Uh, at least in fossil form, going there and finding it. Uh, In my book, I, I, I... thought of a way for Martian life forms to sort of come through the long winters, the long dry winters at Mars as it, as it starts to wind down its geological processes would have gone through. And they would put themselves up as, as seeds, as it were, and store themselves away and come out in the wet periods. And in, in my book, uh, one of these seeds is, um, is brought back to life inadvertently uh, and uh, it starts to recreate the Martian ecology under new conditions. This, is, this, I think, is a distinct possibility for Mars, that, that we, we're looking at a planet whose surface is covered with, uh, with the evidence of rivers and oceans. They're all gone now. Uh, I think the water has probably either been buried in a permafrost layer or has gone off into space. But these, these permafrost layers could be reactivated at some point by volcanism. And uh, so, so in my book, I have uh, the planet's axis uh, being tilted a little bit because of massive physical processes, which I'm famous of doing for doing in my novels, and, uh, and uh, volcanism starts up again on Mars, and uh, the, the plate tectonics begin to grind the surface and create uh, that outgassing that's so famous on Earth for creating our atmosphere, the early stages at any rate. Um, I think uh, those who are really going to survive, in my mind, will be the pioneers, people like H.G. Wells and so on, uh, the ones who first talked about the possibilities of life on Mars, Percival Lowell. Uh, if, we, if we look at the, one of the most famous novels, Ray Bradbury's Martian Chronicles, Ray actually was setting uh, Winesburg, Ohio on Mars. 
And I don't think he was so much trying to be prophetic as to be mythic, and it works very well that way. I think we have to look to the... Uh, or or we, we, we could look back, of course, to Edgar Rice Burroughs, and if we actually found Burroughs as Martians on Mars, that would be quite romantically fantastic. Um, all of these linger in my mind as, as the Martians that we're used to, either the Martians invading us, the little green men, or the uh, intelligent tentacled octopus-like creatures of H.G. Wells. I think what we'll find on Mars will be quite surprising, and um, and the implications are simply extraordinary, because if we are not alone, then very likely we are not alone in space. That means that wherever we're going to find a planet where there is, has been in the past or is now liquid water, you're very likely to find life. Uh, there are other candidates in the solar system. Europa, one of Jupiter's moons, uh, very likely has liquid water underneath its uh, layer of ice, and uh, that liquid water is created by internal heat on Europa. And uh, if there's enough warmth there to uh, create liquid water, there's probably enough energy to create life. So we're looking very seriously at Europa now. And uh, that, that, um, that decentralization of our existence, which started with Copernicus, is now proceeding apace. We are just probably not unique. We may not uh, even be unique in terms of our intelligence. I think that uh, once life gets going... Um, it doesn't progress, maybe, in the, in the sense of the 19th century idealist, but it, it certainly moves along and gets more and more complex and more capable. Our guest on Point of View on WNUA 95.5 has been science fiction author Greg Baer, whose novel Moving Mars is itself great reading, set against a backdrop that now more than ever seems torn from tomorrow's headlines. I'm Charlie Myerson.